We'll read verse 11 and then we'll pray. It tells us, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And uh, Lord, we just love you. We thank you so much for today, Lord, and what this season means, Lord. What this morning, what uh, December 25th represents, God. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you'd be moving within our hearts even now, Lord. We pray that you'd give us eyes to see, Lord, that you'd open our eyes to see the truths of your word and the truths of your love, God. We just pray that you'd be moving within us during this season, Lord, to just give us boldness to continue to share the truths of your word, God, that you would encourage us, you would exhort us in the day and age that we live in. And again, Lord, we just cry out, Lord, for those in the family who are sick and ill, Lord, uh, broken and battered, Lord, those who are going through, uh, through loss, during, through depression during the season, Lord. We pray that you would just strengthen them and, and meet them where they're at, Lord. And again, Father, we just pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. We pray that this morning, this afternoon would be uh, a day of answered prayers, Lord, for some of us here, Lord. And uh, Lord, again, may you just move mightily within us here, God. So we just love you. We thank you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. The, the theme, the title, don't usually do that, but for this morning's service is Out of the Darkness, a Savior. And I don't know how 2020 has been for you, right? Maybe this year has been like the best year ever for you, right? I think of, I have a couple friends that got engaged this year. Maybe you had a baby this year. You're expecting a baby, a grandbaby this year. That may sort of change your perspective Maybe you own a plexiglass business, and man, this has been the best year ever, right? And you're making bank everywhere and everywhere you go. Uh, but for many people, this has been a dark and trying year. It's been a really difficult year. I don't know if you can remember back to December 31st, 2019. Uh, it truly does feel like a decade ago, right? There's so much excitement for the new year, right? 2020, not only a new year, but a new decade. What is it going to mean? What is it going to have in store for us? So much hope, so much joy. And then March came around and everything got turned upside down, right? And we've been just going at it. Every month has its new levels to 2020, right? We're seeing something different, something new. And I know you guys know how difficult this has been, but man, just some stats, some numbers, just to remind us, say, man, this is not why I came to church on Sunday. But hey, remember, you got to come out of the darkness, right? My wife was like, hey, don't make it that sad. It's a Christmas service after all. But yeah, we got to come out of the darkness. The whole reason, the whole point of this is, I don't know how much thought we give to the day, the season, the culture of the time when Jesus was born. Sometimes we just look at the nativities, like in the mall or in front of our houses, and we think, oh, it was a beautiful day, right? Look at how beautiful Jesus looks, right? He's always just so still. In the manger and in the nativity, right? He's just so quiet. Everything is so perfect. Santa's there, then it, right? Wise men are there. Snoopy's there. Everybody's there. It's all good, right? But it was a dark and trying time for the nation of Israel. Equally as dark, maybe even darker than what we're going through today. So, man, just a couple of topics to go through, try to get through them quickly. But today, 2020. Forbes published an article on a study from Japan, and they found that suicide deaths uh, during the first few months of lockdown, suicide deaths were low. 
But in fact, two months after the state of emergency was lifted, the total number of suicides rose significantly. Suicides went up 7.72% across Japan the moment that those lockdowns were lifted. And across all age groups, the largest increase was in women less than 40 years old. They saw a 63% increase in suicides in women 40 years and younger. In just the month of October, they alone saw 2,153 people committing suicide in just one month. In 2018, so this is even before COVID, here within the United States, the National Institute of Mental Health found that the second leading cause of individuals 10 to 34 years old was suicide. Second leading cause, 10 to 34 years old. And individuals 35 to 54 years old, it was the fourth leading cause of death. In 2018, there was more than two and a half times more suicides than there were homicides in the United States. There's 48,000 suicides and there's 18,000 homicides. Taking those numbers from 1999 to 2018... They found that during that 20-year period, the total suicide rate within the United States of America increased 35%. And in 2018, the suicide rate among males was 3.7 times higher than among females. Again, it's a dark time. I don't know how many of us we've lost someone that we love this year to suicide. Or we have a friend that they're going through someone that they love and care about because of suicide. How about the businesses? National Bureau of Economic Research found that during the two-month window of February to April 2020, the number of active business owners in the United States plummeted by 3.3 million. That's over 22% of active business owners completely stopped within those two months. The highest record amongst nationalities was African-American businesses. They dropped 41% in their activity. Latin owners by 32% and Asian businesses by 26%. The businesses have been hit, right? The poor restaurants, one moment they're going out, they're buying tents, moving everything outside, fans, next moment back inside, next moment back outside, then nothing's allowed. It's hard. How about our social interaction, right? Our screen time. I think most of us, we think, hey, I spend too much time on my phone. I got to spend less, less time on the computer, on the iPad. A survey was published on November 25th, 2020, and it was taken from parents in June 2020. So this is in the summer after school has already been let out. And they surveyed the parents asking what percentage of their children spent more than four hours a day using electronic devices before and after covid so kids 0 to 4 years old, 13% of the parents polled had their kids 0 to 4 years old spending more than 4 hours a day on screen time. After COVID, that number, again, 0 to 4 years old, jumped up to 26%. It doubled. And it doubles or more in every age group. 5 to 10 years old, 17% before COVID, 44% afterwards. Ages 11 to 13, 23% before COVID, 47% afterwards. Ages 14 to 17, 32% before COVID, 62% before COVID. 
after COVID, kids spending four hours or more on their phones, their iPads, the internet. Again, the number total more than doubled, 21% before COVID and 44% after COVID. We're blessed here in Florida. A lot of the schools have opened up. They've gone through seasons of close and reopening. But in other states like California, the school system is still completely shut down. Today, there's 24 million children ages 5 through 11 that have been out of school. Uh, The Journal of American Medicine, they have this sort of algorithm to determine the average length of someone's life. And education is one of the biggest factors where they average that with. And they took the amount of time that these kids have been out of school. And they've determined that they've lost over 5.5 million years in the lives of these 24 million American children. Just death rate, not death rate, sorry, life expectancy going down because now most of them, their reading level, it's stopped, it's paused, it's been a lost year. Many of them, they're doing school online, but they're not actively going every single day. Some of them not going whatsoever. If we weren't depressed enough, how about violent crimes, right? In Chicago, 744 people have been murdered this year. That is 241 more people than 2019. In the 11 months, this is November of 2020, shootings in New York City have surged to levels unseen in years, the NYPD said on Friday. While overall crime remains flat, the number of shootings has increased just in the month of November by 112% year over year. Police say that there were 115 shootings last month, 2020, November, compared to 51 in November of 2019. For the year in New York City, shootings have risen from 721 last year to 1,412 this year. It's gone up over 95%. Murders in New York City, they've gone up 40%. If these numbers continue to go, it'll be the biggest jump year over year since 1990. As of Monday, there was 1,300 shooting victims and a 100% increase from last year during the same period. Happy to be at church on Sunday, right? We're living in dark times, family. And this is just, right, we looked at our nation and we looked at Japan. It's not talking about all the other nations, all the other things that are going on. Today we are consumed with how we're going to die, or really we're consumed with not dying one specific way, right? Or giving someone else one specific way of dying. Our heart disease, our cancer, our asthma, our being overweight, that's cool. That's all right, right? We'll we'll address that later. But certain things we're addressing today, and it's just what consumes us. How am I going to die? How am I going to die? But the Bible shows us the truth that we're all going to die. Every single person in this room is going to die. Anybody know anyone here that's never died before, right? Everyone in this room never died yet, right? But man, someone that's 100 years old, someone pushing 110, 150, 200 years old, poor guy, right? But man, that they've never died. And this is all sad news, but this has been the most difficult one for me this year. Every time we go to Israel, we go through the Holocaust Museum. That's a tough time. It's a tough uh, day, tough morning when we go through there. But it's an important truth that we have to be reminded of. But today... Did you know that there's a thing called a re-education camp? Today, 2020, never happened again, right? 
Cold War II. Today in China, there are reportedly 260 to 380 internment camps in Xinjiang, China. It's an autonomous zone in the northwest area of China. It's reported that the inmates there, some of which have been released after they've been re-educated, that there's torture going on. The women, they bag their heads and they rape them at night. Women with child before and during, they've been forced to have abortions without any anesthesia. There's even reports of organ harvesting, sterilization for these women and men, and mass murder taking place. The rough estimates is that there's over one million people currently being held in these re-education camps. Today, 2020. You could do your research. You could tell me later on fake news, whatever, whatever you think. But this is happening today. We're living in dark times, family. Our hope, the only hope we have today, it's not in President Trump. It's not in Joe Biden. It's not in 2021. Some of us think like something magical is going to happen in 2021, right? We're going to just say that countdown is going to be like a beam of light and everything's going to change. COVID's going to die. Everything's going to go back to normal, right? Family, we're living in a dark time. But the nation of Israel, the history of God's people, they were living in equally or even worse of a dark time. If you remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these young men were taken from their homeland when the uh, armies of Babylon came and invaded Israel, destroying Israel, castrating these young men, and now taking them as slaves into the courts of Babylon. And during this time period, there were other minor prophets, Ezra, Nehemiah, all of these different men. And after the Babylonian Empire came the Medo-Persian Empire. After the Medo-Persians came the Grecian Empire. And after the Grecian Empire came the Roman Empire. In the midst of all this, in between the Grecian and Roman Empire, in 175 BC, there was a man by the name of Antichus IV. And he was a Syrian Greek ruler. Alexander the Great came about two generations before him, and he had great respect for the Jewish people. One of the Jewish rabbis showed him the book of Daniel where he was in there in the book and in the Bible, and he had such a respect that he let the children of Israel alone. But this Syrian Greek ruler, Antichrist IV, he hated the Jewish people, and he was puffed up with pride. He gave himself the name Forgive my Greek, not that fluent in it, unless I'm ordering gyros, that's about it. But he gave himself the title, Theos Antichus Theos Epiphaneso, which means I am Antichus, God manifested in the flesh. I kind of get the reason why he hated the Jewish people. They probably wouldn't jive with that. And he hated the Jewish people once while he was busy at war with Egypt. The Jewish people thought that he had died. There was rumors that he had died. So a high priest by the name of Jason, he gathered a group of a thousand soldiers and they stormed the Temple Mount area. They stormed Jerusalem, a surprise attack on Israel. But he wasn't dead yet. He was still alive. In 2 Maccabees chapter 5, never thought I'd ever quote 2 Maccabees up here. But 2 Maccabees chapter 5, it's, uh, you could take it for history. It says, when these things happened... When these happenings were reported to the king, Antichus, he thought that Judea was in revolt. And raging like a wild animal, he sent out of Egypt and he took Jerusalem by storm. He ordered his soldiers to cut down without mercy those whom they met and to slay those who were hiding in their homes. 
There was a massacre of young and old and women, children, a slaughtering of virgins and infants. And in the space of three days, 80,000 were lost, 40,000 meeting a violent death, and the same number being sold into slavery. 160,000 people over three days gone. He placed armed guards around the Temple Mount to stop the Jews from sacrificing. He made idolatry, uh, idolatry mandatory in Israel. He made a temple of Zeus. He sacrificed a pig on the altar of sacrifice. And he forced all the priests in Egypt to eat this unkosher, this unclean flesh. He wouldn't even allow the Hebrew people to circumcise their babies on the eighth day. There were two women that defied them having their baby circumcised, and when he found out, he had the two babies killed, he had the babies hung around the mother's necks, and he paraded them around Jerusalem. You can think of Jesus leading up to the crucifixion, being paraded all around Jerusalem, until the point where they came to the walls of Jerusalem, and he threw them off the walls of Jerusalem. It's a dark time for the Hebrew people. In the midst of this, there's sort of little skirmishes going on, if you know of the Maccabean Wars, and there was a priest named Matthias, and he began to lead the Maccabean revolt against these Syrian rulers, these Roman rulers. And Judas Maccabees, he marched into Jerusalem. He was able to take over the temple. He purified it again, and he wanted to light the menorah in the temple. But he only had enough oil to last one day. And again, a miracle of God, it lasted for eight days. This is where we get Hanukkah. And the Feast of Dedication. Again, a tough time for Israel. They're taken over by enemy governments. In a sense, there's a civil war taking place. Some people that want to leave things alone don't, don't get in a stiff with the government. Others trying to fight against it. In 63 AD, there's a general by the name of Pompey. And his son is Herod the Great. And Herod the Great, you would think there'd be a hope for the nation of Israel because Herod the Great was half Jewish. His mother was Jewish. His father was not. But the problem with Herod the Great is he didn't really love the people of Israel. He just loved himself. And he just wanted to take care of himself. He was half Jewish, half Jewish but he still lorded it over the people. He would build buildings. He built them the most beautiful temple they've ever had. But it was all to give himself a greater and a greater name. Again, we've talked about it in the young adults, but they had the Temple Mount area there. But right next to the Temple Mount, they had a Roman garrison there, a camp. That was called the Antonio Fortress. And it was so high that the soldiers would be lined up in the Antonio Fortress to watch the Jewish people and to watch them as they were worshiping the Lord to make sure they weren't causing a revolt or a stir. Again, imagine here this morning you come to church. And there's police, police officers you don't know, right? There's lots of police officers here at church. But officers you don't know who are lined up around the wall, right? They're looking down through the windows on the sides, making sure we're not doing anything wrong. Watching us while we worship the Lord. This is what the people were going through. Herod the Great, he was given a decree from the Roman Senate to be called the King of the Jews. It was a name given to him by the Roman Senate. That's why when the Magi, the wise men from the east, come to him and say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? He loses it. He wants to find the baby. He wants to kill him. 
They live a different way. That's why he's so enraged and now he murders. He kills every baby boy two years old and younger. Right? What about culturally? You see, Rome, they achieved the dream. They had world peace. Roman government, they achieved world peace. The problem is that it was a world peace of an iron fist where you were to do as you told. If not, you'd be put to death. Most of the world, they're still speaking Greek, and it's incredible. Wish we had time to go into the New Testament, birth of the church. But Jerusalem and Judea, there's some sort of a melting pot. They had all sorts of Roman citizenship, Greek culture, and the Hebrew language in the synagogues. This is why when Jesus is crucified, Pilate puts a sign over his head in three languages that says, Jesus, right? King of the Jews, and it was written in Latin, Greek, and Hebrew. But who could the people turn to? Maybe they could turn to spiritual leaders, religious leaders. Maybe they could turn to God. The problem is God has been silent for 400 years. There's no new prophets. Nobody's hearing from God, right? Anybody up there? Maybe he's asleep like Elijah made fun of the other gods. In 586 B.C., that's when the temple's destroyed. It's burnt down. People are taken to Babylon, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And during this time, they could no longer offer sacrifices. Temple's destroyed. There's no tabernacle. So how do you get right with God? How can you find remission of sins if, according to the Old Testament, the only way to find remission of sins is through animal sacrifice? The only thing the Hebrew people still had in terms of religion and God was the Word of God. It was the Torah. So they studied the Torah more than ever. This is where they created the idea of synagogue. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, they rise to power during the 400 years of silence. The Pharisees during the Babylonian captivity, they would spend all their time asking, what would Moses do and writing it down, commentary after commentary. They would have WWMD bracelets, right? And they would just be writing down what would Moses do. What would Moses do? What would he do in this situation? What would he do in this situation? They started out great. They wanted to be separatists. They didn't want to be a part of the idol worship of Babylon. But as time went on, they grew to become more and more legalistic. Right? Churches today, they became more and more legalistic. And they were just in love with the commentaries. They were in love with their traditions as much as the Bible itself. They became angry and stuck up. The Sadducees, they also rose to power during the same time period. But they denied everything supernatural. They read the same Bible we do. But to be a little bit extra, they only believed the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe in angels and miracles, resurrection of the dead. And they looked down at the legalism of the Pharisees, but they still wanted their power. They wanted to be upperclassmen. They looked down at the people, but they also looked down on anyone that wanted to be extra religious for the Lord. The Pharisees, they were ritualistic. Sadducees were rationalists. Pharisees were legalistic. Sadducees, they were liberals. Pharisees, they were separatists. Sadducees, they were compromisers. And that compromising heart continued through every Babylonian Empire, Persian Empire, Roman Empire that would come through. They would just smooge all the politicians to keep their power and their pockets intact. So who could the people of Israel turn to? Who would you turn to? Can't turn to the Roman government. They just want more and more power Extremely crazy taxes that were decimating the people. Can you turn to King Herod? He's half Jewish. No, he just cares about himself. 
Could you turn to the religious lure, the religious leaders? No. In fact, they looked down at the common people. In their prayers, they would say, God, thank you that I'm not like the common man around me. Who could you turn to? The Sadducees, they were playing political games to keep themselves at the top and make sure they were a part of the inner circle of the upper classmen. It seemed like no one cared about the common man. No one cared about the everyday individual just trying to go about his life, have, uh, have something for himself, and have something for his family. Sounds similar at all to what we're going through today? Who can we turn to? Who's going to champion our cause, right? So much injustice going on in the world, and what can we do but pray? No one cared about the common man, and what would a Hebrew person do with all the promises given to them? All the prophets, all the prophecies, all the history, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and for what? In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Yet they're living in darkness right now. There's nowhere to turn to. And they're saying, Lord, what great light has come to us? We can go to Luke chapter 1. I'm sorry if you were turning to Isaiah 9 and I juked you out. But you can go to Luke chapter 1. And again, this is the backdrop for Mary and Joseph. This is what's going on. And even more difficult circumstances for Mary and Joseph, right? Again, very religious time period. The people of Israel, very pure, very holy. And yet you have someone who's engaged that's with child, right? They haven't had, they haven't had their wedding yet. People are looking down upon him. We know the Pharisees later on, they'll mock Jesus, basically calling him a bastard, right? We don't even know who your mother is, right? We don't even know who your father is. And this is what Mary and Joseph are living in. But in Luke chapter 1, in the midst of this season of darkness and turmoil, there is a priest by the name of Zacharias. And he's an older gentleman. And an angel comes to him and says, hey, you in your old age, you and your wife are going to have a baby. He laughs at the angel. He says, how can I know this is true? The angel says, hey, you can't talk until the baby comes. Probably had no arguments until the baby came, right? He can't say anything. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 67, this is after his son, John, John the, John the Baptist is born. And in Luke 67 through 80, chapter 1, it says, Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you child will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, 
to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in the spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation of Israel. Again, he's praising God in this, but yet if he's there in the temple mount, there's Roman soldiers watching him, making sure that he's acting accordingly. They haven't been freed, right? People in darkness now having seen the light, being taken from the shadow of death, given a guide to our feet in the way of peace. None of this has come. But Zacharias begins to believe. And family, today, have you turned to Jesus? Have you allowed the light of Jesus to come into your life so that you can really see the reality of life and what's going on? I don't know if you've ever taken a trip and you get to your Airbnb at night and you just don't know, did we make a good decision or bad decision, right? You get there at night, you really don't know what's going on, but then the next morning you have light and then you get to see, honey, we got to get out of here today. Or you get to see, man, we did good on this place. This place is looking nice. Look at the place outside. Look at the backyard. And the same is true for us within our lives. If we're living apart from God, we're living in darkness. And you can't see the realities of this life. The only way you're going to see the reality of life and death and morals and good and evil, it's by having the light of Jesus shining in your life. Now in chapter 2, we come to the story that we're more accustomed to. And it tells us, and it came to pass in those days. Again, this is history. That a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. What's taking place here in these first three verses? There's crazy government mandates and their taxes are about to get raised. That's exactly what's going on here, right? Caesar Augustus, what he wanted was to tax everyone under Roman rule. So that's why he's having every citizen going back to the home of the city of where their father was born. So that then he can have the idea of how many people are there. And he can begin to tax every single person, right? But this isn't fair. Why do I have to go so far, right? I don't know where your father was born. You got to go back to Cuba. Got to go back to New York City, Georgia, wherever you came from, right? But now in verse 4, it tells us Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So again, imagine Joseph and Mary. Mary's about eight, nine months pregnant at this point. Honey, we got to go on a trip, right? I don't know how many of you guys, you've had the joy of having your wife pregnant, right? At eight months, every day gets just twice as bad as the last day, right? And her pains and her aches, her tiredness, every day is like twice as bad as the last. Hey, honey, let's go on an 80 to 90 mile journey on a bus, in a plane. No, honey, I got this new donkey. Got this new donkey you could ride. The roads aren't paved, but hey, this is going to be great. Forget about walking around Dolphin Mall to drop the baby. This is going to work, honey. This is totally going to work, right? No husband in his right mind would ever ask that of his wife. But again, God is the one behind the scenes allowing things to happen all for his glory. 
Caesar Augustus, he thinks that he's doing this for his own money, for his own pocket, and yet God is allowing Caesar Augustus to make these decisions, and God is using all of it for his own glory and power because the prophecy stated that the Savior was going to be born in Bethlehem, and they were nowhere near Bethlehem. So now Joseph and Mary, they begin to take on this journey, eight-month pregnant woman riding on a donkey all the way into Bethlehem. Verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, it's, this makes me laugh. Today with social media, we make everything a big deal, right? We have a pre-party before the party where we find out if the baby's a boy or girl. But here for Jesus, his whole entire birth is told to us in one verse, verse 7, right? And now we can begin to look at it little by little. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, his whole entire birth story in one verse. She brings her firstborn son, Jesus, it's capitalized, right? And she wraps him in swaddling clothes, laying him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. What would your expectation be if an angel appeared to your wife or appeared to your husband and said, hey, we're going to bring the king of kings into this world. We are going to bring God himself is going to bring a baby through us to be born. What would your expectations be? God, surely I don't have to pay any medical fees, right? You'll take care of this bill? Lord, is going to be like the nicest hospital ever. Birthing centers, a birthing center. It's not going to be an inflatable pool. It's going to be like a golden pool, right? Of course, God, right? It's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. But what kind of a world does Jesus come into? What kind of state, what kind of area does he come into? There's no room at the inn. The city of David is packed with people because of this census. The words here in the Greek really show us that he's born in an alleyway. It's not in the nativities that we see everywhere we go, super cute, right? They're built super nice, four by fours, one by sixes, right? She's giving birth in an alleyway to the Savior of mankind. How would you react? You're walking in downtown Miami and you just see a woman in an alleyway giving birth. What kind of a heart would you have? Would it be a heart to help, a heart of disgust? What's going on? What's put you in this place? Again, Mary, she's only 14, 15 years old. A young girl giving birth in the middle of an alleyway. There's no family around her. There's no doctors. There's no friends. She's all alone. And the Savior of mankind is about to be brought into this world. She wrapped them in swaddling cloths, it tells us. And today there's all sorts of special swaddling cloths, right? Maybe you're in that season and you're doing the baby burrito thing, right? You get that thing tighter and tighter. It's almost like a straight jacket on the baby. At least my kids, that's what they liked when they were like so tight they could only move their head, right? But she didn't have any special swaddling blankets. There was no Velcro on there to get it extra tight. It wasn't their favorite print or their favorite color. The wording here tells the swaddling cloth was that Mary was having to rip pieces of cloth to continue to gently wrap the Savior of mankind. In a sense, she's mummifying him. She's putting him in little piece by little piece, and she's wrapping him tightly. There's no crib. There's no bed. There's no rocking chair there. There's not even the plastic buckets at the hospitals, right, where you put the baby in. There's only a manger. 
That's the only thing Joseph could find. And a manger is not like these cute things we see here, right? See those all around? We see different mangers. A manger, if you've gone to Israel, you've seen them. You see the new rocks, but they're old rocks. But the big rocks, right, out there in the entryway, you take a, like three by three piece of just stone and you just carve out a little trench in the middle there. That's what a manger would be, look like. So the Savior of mankind is being born in an alleyway, doesn't even have any special blankets, no embroidery with his name on it. He's having to rip off little pieces of cloth to wrap him, and the only bed they can find for him, it's a feeding trough. That's all they could find for him. The Savior of mankind, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and this is the state, this is the group of people that he comes into this life to spend time with. Right, even today we use watering troughs for some of our parties, right? Maybe you have one little galvanized little bucket, right? And you put your ice and your drinks there. You can even get them engraved with your name and shiny and polished. It wasn't that kind of a manger. It was the old rusty one in the back of the barn that has a tons of holes in it. And that's where Mary and Joseph are having to lay this savior of humanity, God himself. This is where she has to lay him. Now in verse 8. It tells us now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Shepherds. You see, our mindset, maybe we were thinking of the little precious moment shepherds, right? Super cute little kids, little rosy cheeks. Maybe you're thinking of the little drummer boy, right? Pum 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 pum, and everywhere he goes, he's got his cute little lamb following him. We can think of Moses, right? King David. We know Jesus was the good shepherd. But that's not really what the culture saw shepherds as. You see, shepherds were the lowest of the low in society. We just finished the book of Genesis. And if you remember, Joseph warned his brothers, don't tell them you're shepherds because the Egyptians loathe shepherds. They look down at shepherds to the point that in this society, shepherds were not allowed to testify in court how low they were looked at. To give us the proper perspective, we can think of a bunch of individuals in orange jumpsuits tending to a flock of sheep. This is the nativity, right? Think of a new nativity to put in front of your house. People really question you, right? But verse 9, it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel, just one angel comes to them and they're freaking out. He says, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Who does God choose to promote? The Savior of mankind being born? A bunch of convicts. A bunch of inmates, right? The lowest of low. That's who God decides. I'm not going to go to an influencer. I'm not going to go to a movie star. I'm not going to go to a politician. Let's find the lowest of the low. The ones who mankind doesn't even want to be with. One angel comes. They're freaking out. He tells them, hey, you're going to find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. What's the sign? Again, this shows... How different this was than any birth in this day and age. This is going to be the sign. You're going to find that baby in a feeding trough 
where the saliva of the cows has been, the saliva of the horses has been, that's where you're going to find the baby wrapped up. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. So again, in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the countryside, now there's an angelic choir and an angelic concert taking place and they're singing. This is no silent night, right? Maybe people, they're opening their eyes and there's a super bright light out there in the country. What's going on? UFOs? What's happening, right? But the excitement of the angels here, a whole host, they show up, a whole multitude singing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And the excitement of the angels, we see it infects the shepherds. And it says, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. And found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Again, put ourselves here in the story, in the sandals of Mary and Joseph, right? Ladies, right after you gave birth, I don't know. Some ladies, they like having lots of visitors. Some ladies like having no visitors, right? But usually your visitors are people you know, right? But imagine you've just given birth. We don't know how much time has taken place. We don't know if Mary's legs are still shaking. We don't know if she's still come to. But who's the one opening the door, peeking in? A bunch of dudes in orange jumpsuits with a bunch of sheep behind them, right? Hey, can we come in? Can we see the baby? Joseph, call the police. What's going on here, right? This is what's taking place. And again, they find this baby. The only room for him. There's no room in the inn. The only place for him was for him to be wrapped up in cloth, laying on a stone. And the same is true for Jesus throughout all his life to the day of his death. The only place where there was room for him was in the tomb. Was after he was put to death and he was wrapped up and laid upon a stone. That's the only place where there's room for him. Will we allow room for him in our lives? But we say, you know what, the truth of these gospels, I want that truth. I want the truth of that good news that God, he made a way. God, he's the one that planned salvation. He's the one that gave us a way To be freed from our sins. To be freed from the damnation of hell. Not only did he plan it, but then he pays for it. He doesn't send your son. He doesn't send your father. He sends his only begotten son to pay for our sins. And then he doesn't just leave us in a forgiven state. But then he wants to what? Draw us unto him. God with us. That's the wonder of Christmas. It's not the fat guy in a suit. How does he fit down the chimney? We live in Miami, we don't have chimneys. Or how does this work? A reindeer with a glowing red nose? How does that work? The wonder of Christmas. It's not that. It's God with us. That God was willing to step down from the perfection of heaven in his throne room to come down to earth. And not only does he come down to earth to come down to, you know, Coco Plum or Pinecrest, the nicest. No, he goes down to the slums. To the slums of the slums, right? In an alleyway. That's where he's born. That's where he's brought into this world so that no one would say he wouldn't understand me. He wouldn't be willing to take me. No, he was born into the lowest of the low. Verse 17, now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning Christ. So now these angels, I mean these shepherds are running around saying what the angels had told them. 
Verse 18, And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Running around, Jesus, the Savior has been born. Jesus, the Savior has been born. The shepherds are running around everywhere saying that. The name Jesus, it means something to us. But in this day and age, it was the name Joshua. Very common term. So again, imagine today. A bunch of convicts with a bunch of sheep running around saying, Jose, the Savior has been born today, right? Jorge, the Savior of all mankind has been born today. What's wrong with those guys, right? What's going on with them? This is the story of God coming down to speak to us. Have we accepted him? Have we turned to him? Or are we holding on to our pride saying, no, I don't want to let him in. Right? In Matthew chapter 4, here Jesus speaks and he speaks straight to Isaiah chapter 9, the scripture that we started off with. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 14, it tells us that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, the light of the world stepped in. And what's the light of the world? It's that we can repent and the kingdom of heaven, it's right here. Jesus is here and he's saying, would you repent? Would you repent of your sins? Would you say, you know what, Jesus, you're the son of God. You came down to earth to die for me, to save me, forgive me of my sins. Have that friendship, that relationship with me. That if we do that, man, the kingdom of heaven, it's a hand. The light of the world is here. And not only does the Lord see us in the darkness that we're in, the dark season that we're in, not only that, but he's reaching out to you. He wants to pour his light out onto you. And not only does he want to pour out his light, not only is he reaching out to you, but he sees you. He made you. He formed you. He loves you. And what does he want to do? He wants to bring you to him. He's the only one that knows your soul. He's the only one that's going to bring you a state of peace. He's the only one that's going to bring you a state of joy. We turn to Psalm 139. And here this is a psalm of David. David, he went through many rough seasons of life, many dark seasons in life. Running from the government running from his father-in-law, fleeing from his own son. And in one of these moments of darkness, Psalm 139, verse 7, we'll read verse 7 through 14. uh, David pens this beautiful psalm. Verse 7, he says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
Even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Again, not only does he want to pour out his light into us, but he knows us. And when we're in the midst of darkness, if we're with Christ, it's as bright as noonday. It's as bright as 12 in the afternoon, even in the darkest times of life. And he knows us. He's the only one that knows our soul. Right? How often do we think we know ourselves and we quickly change? You remember those first few months of college, right? Maybe some of you were good. You picked one study, one idea of what you wanted to do, one bachelor's degree, and you saw it through, right? But there's other people, other kids every week. I went back to the counselor. I went back to the counselor. I went back to the counselor, right? We don't even know ourselves, and yet we're trying to fight with the Lord. We're trying to fight with this world. He's the only one that knows us. He made us. He formed us together in our mother's womb. And he wants to make our darkest times as light. In John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Family, he's the only hope for today. He's the only hope. He's the only one that can shine light on the darkness that we're in. In the midst of the suicides and the violence, the concentration camps. He's the only one that can pour forth his light to show clarity on the situation. And now if we're following him, we're not going to walk in darkness. Because the light of Jesus Christ is going to be within us. He's going to be our lifeblood, our lifeline. Hebrews chapter 13, two more scriptures and then we'll close. Hebrews 13. Verse 5 and 6. It tells us, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, family, if we accept Christ, if we accept his sacrifice, he's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. That light is going to be in our lives until the moment in time when we die and we see him face to face. That light is going to be there all this time. And now if we have him within our hearts, we're able to boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Is is that question just consuming your mind right now, right? In this season? 
Oh, man, what are the Republicans doing? Oh, man, what are the Democrats doing? What's China doing? What's Russia doing? And it can consume, it consumes some people. What are they doing? What are they, they going to do? What is it going to change? Is it going to be civil war? Is it going to be this? Man, when you have that walk with the Lord, you can say, hey, I'm not afraid of anything. What can man do to me? Caesar Augustus, the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire ever. And God's able to move him around to bring Mary and Joseph down to Bethlehem. What can man do to me? Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and we'll close here. This has been a, a special portion of scripture during this crazy season. And in Romans chapter 8, we find some of the most feel-good verses in all of Scripture. Some of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. But we need to make sure that those verses actually apply to us. Because if they don't apply to us, we can feel as good as we want to feel. But it's not going to help. I haven't seen it in a long time. But for a while, they were, what was the word? They were advertising a cookie diet, right? Say, hey, you could eat as many cookies as you want. You'll lose weight. Hungry? Eat some cookies, right? That's all you got to do. We go through different seasons. I remember Taco Bell when they had like a fitness menu for a while. And they had a girl like, I lost this much weight on Taco Bell, right? It's like, I don't know if that's really applicable to my life. If I eat as much Taco Bell as I want, I'm definitely not going to lose weight. If I eat as many cookies as I want, I could feel, I'm going to feel great. Bring me the cookies. I'm going to drop pounds but it's not going to apply it to my life. It's not going to change the truth of where I'm at. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we'll start off. We're going to jump around through the end of the chapter. And it says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are, call, are the called according to his purpose. Family, is that you? That's not just a blanket statement for all of mankind. That statement is for those who love God, those who are the called. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my word. That's what Jesus says. We jump down to verse 31. It says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He offered his own son, right? We can love verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? But the question we must ask is, hey, is God actually for you right now? Is God actually for you right now? Because if you're an unbeliever, he's for you. But he's against you at the same time. He wants you to come to the end of yourself. He wants you to give yourself up. To give your life up and say, hey, from here on out, my life is dead and now it's Christ living through me. Now it's not what I want or how I feel. Now it's what does God's word say? What is God calling me to do? And then we can say, man, who can be against us? God is with us. Because again, he did not spare his own son. His own son. I'd imagine someone invites you over for a meal and they just spent all the money in their bank to give you this last Christmas meal. Your little abuelita, she spent all the money in her bank account and she invites you over for a Christmas meal. And you say, no, I don't want to eat that, abuela. I want nothing to do with that. I don't like pork. I don't want to eat that. I'm going to go to my friend's house to eat it. 
When we tell God, God, I'm going to come to heaven outside of Jesus, we're doing that and much worse. When we say, Lord, I can get to heaven by my good works. I can get to heaven because I'm a good person. I can get to heaven because I've gone to church consistently. You're trampling on the blood of Christ. You're lying to yourself. And now God who gave his only son, you're saying, you know what? I don't really want that. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Family, does this scripture apply to you? Are you with Christ? Are you with God? Are you obeying his word? Are you following him? Because this is, this is powerful stuff here. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. I am more than a conqueror no matter what's happening. But that's only true if I'm following Jesus Christ. That's only true if I'm following his word. That's only true if I'm humbling myself and saying, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Not defending my sin, but saying, Lord, forgive me for my sin. Lord, would you take me? Lord, would you love me? Right, that verse 35, shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, can that separate us from the love of Christ? Where is our hope in? I think some of us, we think like something magical is going to happen at 2021, right? I don't know about you, but sometimes our hope gets creeped into 2021. We think it's going to be like, this is like this miracle, this bright light's going to shine forth, COVID is going to be gone, George Washington's going to come back and lead America, right? Everything's going to be solved. Everything's going to be fixed. What if 2021 is worse than 2020? What if we get two decades in one year instead of one decade in a year, right? Are we ready? Because if we're right with Christ, then we're able to have that hunger, that fight, that drive to say, you know what? No matter what comes against me, God is with me. I'm not afraid. I'm not fearful. What can man do to me? And maybe you're here and you say, man, I don't have that. I am as afraid as I have ever been. Every moment, every day, I'm thinking, man, what's going on? What's going to happen to my life, the life of my family? Today, you can stand and say, Jesus, I want you. I want to be able to have those verses be true in my life. I want to be a part of the called. I want to be a part of those who love Christ. Not those who love themselves and want to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on top. No, I want to be those who love Christ. Jesus Christ. I want to be those who we see the sacrifice of God's only son and we just say, thank you, Lord. I have nothing to add to that. I have nothing to separate from that. Lord, thank you. And if you're here this morning, maybe you're online and you say, man, today I want to make that stand. Today I want to accept that invitation of God with us. Because again, God wants to dwell with each and every one of us. And that's the good news. It's not just that we're forgiven. It's not just that he's going to make us pure and make us holy. It's that God, the only one that knows our soul, the only one that knows everything that makes us tick, he wants to spend time with you. He wants to be with you. 
He wants to love on you. He wants to make you that conqueror. He wants to have you sense his love and forgiveness in your life. So if you're here, maybe you're online. If you're online, you can write it there in the chat. I think on the church online, there's a little button to say that you're raising your hand. And there's pastors online that want to pray with you, want to reach out to you. But hey, if you're here this morning, you say, you know what? I want that relationship with God. I want to know that I'm not going to spend eternity in hell when I die. I want to be able to have that peace that no matter what's going to happen in 2021, I'll be with God. And God's going to be able to see me through. But hey, if that's you here and you say, man, I want that. I want to have that friendship and relationship with the Lord. Stand up. You can stand up now. We'll rejoice with you. Every other person that's here that they've been here for a while, we did it once too. And we stood up saying, Lord, I want to accept that free gift. I want that gift in my life. And maybe you thought you were saved for years. Maybe you've been coming to Calvary Chapel, Miami since 1988. But this year has revealed to you, I'm in darkness. I'm not living in the light. I'm living in darkness. And God, this morning, right now, he's opening your eyes so that you can see he wants to pour out his light into your life. He wants to restore the things you've lost. He wants to empower you and love you with a love that you've never known. But hey, if that's you this morning, you can stand up and we'll rejoice with you. Anyone else? Anyone else's man's heart is pounding? The fear is creeping in. What are they going to think? What are they going to say? Man, you just stand up and the Lord, he's going to cover you with his love. That old person, the person that used to identify yourself as, once that person you allowed to be put to death, you're going to see who you truly are in Christ Jesus. So man, a couple more minutes. Anybody else wants to stand and say, you know what, Lord? I want to know you. I want to have God with me in my life. Well, hey, let's stand up. If you're online, again, you can reach out. One of the pastors will talk to you there. The worship team can come up. If the pastors could come up. And hey, family, if you were man, a little afraid, a little timid to stand up, man, still come up. Pray with one of the pastors. Uh, if it's your first time, man, I encourage you to talk with one of the pastors. We want to pray with you. We want to talk with you. We just want to encourage you. And uh, for us, the believers... And be bold with the gospel. As you go to different family functions, as you go to work functions, hobbies, be bold with the gospel. Do we believe this? Is this important to us? Do we say this is the most important thing in my lifetime? Are we talking about it? Are we sharing the good news with other people? But hey, let's pray. We'll worship. If you need prayer, come up front. Pray with one of the pastors. And then we'll be dismissed. So Lord, we just love you. And God, we thank you for the gift of salvation, Lord. We thank you for the truth of your word, Lord, that with you and only you, we can be more than conquerors, God. And Lord, we just take time to thank you, Lord, that you've opened our eyes. Lord, you've taken us from darkness and you've poured out your light into us, Lord. And God, just help us during this season to continue to be the salt and the light of the world, Lord. Help us to not hide it, Lord. Help us to not lose our flavor, God. 
But help us to be bold for you, Lord. May you give us boldness in these last days, Lord. So we love you. Thank you for my brother standing up, Lord, the other people that stood up this morning, Lord, to receive you, to say I'm done with my sin. I want to live a life with Jesus, Lord. We pray that you would fill them with your spirit, Lord, and that you would shower them with your love, Lord. So just be with us now. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.